Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Preacher, what a joy it is to be back in Seymour at Riverview Baptist Church. And I'm grateful and thankful for your faithfulness to Christ. And I'm thankful we can still open this book and preach, Thus saith the Lord. In times like these, we need the Savior. In times like these, we need the Bible. Happy is that man or that lady who can say, I'm very sure my anchor holds and grips the solid rock. What a great thing to know him. Thank you for a good, warm welcome this morning. Thank you for the good, warm weather out there. Appreciate you piping in some good Arizona type weather. I feel right at home anyhow. And uh, we're just excited about these days to see what God will do through his words in your heart and my heart. Let me invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Galatians in chapter number three. The book of Galatians in your Bible, chapter number three. And I'd like to begin from Galatians chapter number three and verse number one. Galatians chapter number three and verse number one. As you make your way through the book of Galatians, it's pretty obvious that the Apostle Paul is all stirred up. You know, there are things that get preachers stirred up, but I'll promise you, in the book of Galatians, Paul was stirred up like, like I mean, the one thing, the one thing that would get him going every time. You read about it back in chapter 2 in verse number 14. He said, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. That's all it took for Paul to get stirred up. He said, as soon as the reverends and the ministers start going contrary to the gospel, to the story of the good news of Jesus dying for our sins, buried and he rose again that we might be saved. When Paul said somebody goes against the gospel and they're not right when it comes to the gospel, well, Paul said, that's what it takes for me to get stirred up. And you know, in Paul's day, there were great attacks against the gospel of Christ. Could I be honest? In our day, there are great attacks against the gospel of Christ. You'll notice where they came from in Paul's day. In chapter 1, verse number 8, he said, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Uh, Let him be accursed. Boy, those are some mighty strong words. Paul said, if an angel from heaven shows up, and I mean if an angel from heaven starts preaching, but that angel is preaching a gospel that is different than the gospel in our Bible, I mean, it couldn't get any stronger. He said, let the angel be accursed. In other words, the angel ought to be sentenced to hell forever because they're preaching a gospel that is not the gospel of the Word of God. I mean, you can almost hear Paul. He's getting all stirred up as you make your way through Galatians. He said, I don't care who it is. Man, if there's an angel from heaven shows up, I don't care if that angel's got the robe of heaven on. If that angel starts preaching a a gospel that is different than the gospel in the Bible, the Bible is right and the angel is wrong. Notice, if you would, in chapter 2, verse number 11, he said, But uh, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. You know, you and I have great respect for Peter, but in the first century, Peter was a legend. I I mean, you get into the middle of the first century when God gives us the book of Galatians, and there was nobody, there was nobody for Christian people that they honored more than was Pastor Peter. I mean, Pastor Peter, they'd kind of look at him, you know, when he'd come to preach and say, that guy walked on the water. 
Iowa's Pastor Peter was the first guy to go into the empty tomb. Why was Pastor Peter that went on top of that mountain and he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? It was Pastor Peter this and Pastor Peter that. And, and we respect the man and we honor the man, but it was nothing like it was in the first century. I, I mean, we kind of look at Paul, then Peter, perhaps maybe most of us in our way of thinking. Not back then. I mean, Peter, nobody was more important than him. But I love chapter 2, verse 11, because the Apostle Paul said when, when good old brother Peter showed up, I mean, Dr. Peter shows up, and when Dr. Peter comes, if, if he's not right, I mean, it's pretty strong language. Paul said, I'll get right in his face. I was stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. You get the picture? Paul said, nobody's going to start playing games with the gospel of Jesus on my watch. I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. I don't care if it's Dr. Peter himself. You know, a little earlier in chapter 2, he said, I don't care if it's the seminary professors, that's what I call them, from Jerusalem. Hey, these were these teachers that came out of the schools in Jerusalem. And, and you know, they would pretty much after Paul had come to Galatia. And by the way, Galatia is what we call modern-day Turkey on our map. And, and it's not just cities, but it's regions, counties like we might think of them. And, and Paul came to these cities and these counties, and he started churches. And, and of course, he went on to do the work God called them to do. And after Paul left, here comes these professors from the schools in Jerusalem. And, and you know, they would come along and <clears throat> sound so scholarly and sound so intelligent, you know. And, well, of course, Paul was right, and we need Jesus to be saved, and Jesus died and rose again. Of course, all that's true, but, but you know, if you want to stay saved, we've got a special dose of salvation for you. And, and that's why Galatians is in the Bible, really, for two reasons. Reason number one, Galatians is in the Bible to tell them and us, you are not saved by works. You are not saved by works, not one work of righteousness. No one will ever, Bible word, boast in heaven saying, I'm here because of my works. We are sinners who need a Savior. But you know, Galatians has another reason in the Bible, an equally important reason. Reason number one, we are not saved by works. But reason number two, and this matters, we don't stay saved by works. You see, that was the problem in that day. These professors from the seminary showed up and, and they said, oh, no, 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 no. You, you need Jesus just like Paul said. You need to be saved just like Paul preached. But if you want to stay saved, then there's this special work you have to do. And what those professors said, you're going to basically have to turn into a Jewish man or a Jewish lady. Well, you don't get saved by becoming Jewish, and you don't stay saved by becoming Jewish. It's got nothing to do with it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the gospel. So you can hear Paul. Can you kind of get the sense that the blood is rising here? The temperatures are rising. I mean, Paul's getting all worked up. The blood pressure is getting higher. Hey, so I don't care who they are. I don't care if an angel from heaven shows up. I don't care if it's Dr. Peter himself. I don't care if it's the professors from the liberal seminaries in Jerusalem. I don't care. In fact, if that weren't enough, you know who else he picked on in Galatians chapter 2? He said, I don't even care who the big boys in the conference are. 
Now, that's fascinating to me because we have conferences everywhere you go. You know, when I first started out, what we used to have back in those days were preaching services. Preachers would gather together and they would preach. Preaching meant preach for preachers. And then we had preaching services, revival meetings in churches. In the old days, we used to have preaching. But you know what's happened? In 2020, preaching is not a word people like. Preaching's a negative word. Don't preach at me. And so because preaching's become a negative word, people have changed from what the Bible says. And instead of having preaching services, everywhere you look now, we have conferences. You know, the word conference is found one time in the Bible in Galatians 2, only one time. And when it's found in the Bible, it's a very negative thing. Basically, Paul said, I don't care who they are in the conference. I don't care who the big boys are. I don't care what their name is. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they come from. If they're going contrary to the word of God, I don't care what they're saying at the conference. Paul said, I'm going to stick by the word of God. You know, I find that fascinating because the word preaching is found well over a hundred times in the Bible. And the word conference is found only one time in the Bible. And it's a very negative thing. And yet now it seems like people would rather have a conference than they would have preaching. You know, in a preaching service, somebody preaches. In a conference, people confer. Uh, Last I looked in the Bible, we're not supposed to be conferring about our ideas and our wisdom and our thinking. And it's really this week, if it's about what I think, y'all are in a lot of trouble. You really are. But if we're going to gather every day and open the Bible and preach the word of God, then we're going to get God's wisdom and we're going to have God's thinking and we're going to have God's opinions and let God be true and every man a liar. He is the one that must increase and we are the ones who must decrease. And that's why Paul said, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. I don't care if it's Dr. Peter himself. I don't care if it's the professors from the seminary in Jerusalem with the big names. I don't even care if it's the big boys from the conference. Paul said if they're not right according to the truth of the gospel, if they're not walking right according to what the Bible says, then we're going to stand by the Bible and I don't care who gets offended at that. I mean, to tell you folks, Paul's all stirred up. And as you make your way through Galatians, he's he's, he's taking the gospel gun, he's loading it up and hammering everything and everybody. I don't care who they are. Don't care where they went to school. Don't care what their professor said. Don't care what the angel thinks. He said, none of that matters. The only thing that counts is that people are saved according to the word of God. So that's the story of Galatians. He's all start up. I'm not going to let anybody mess with the gospel. And if they do, they got an appointment with me. So that sets the table for what I'd like you to see with me this morning from Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, O foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. My Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us from the Bible. Build strong men, strong ladies, strong young people at Riverview Baptist Church. Lord, I pray for those listening today, you build them in the Word of God. May we have convictions that are yours, not a preacher's. May we have a a place where we stand on the Word of God, not on the Word of men. I ask you, Father, to help this morning as we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' great name I pray, amen. 
it's a good time to stop and remember there's a reason Paul's all stirred up. You know, there's some preachers that are out there, especially some online. You can find their websites and their blogs, and, and I think they're, they're a fight looking for a place to happen. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it's kind of like somebody said. There was one guy walking down the street, you know, and trouble started coming towards him. So the guy crossed the street because he didn't want to deal with the trouble. I mean, there's another guy walking down that side of the street and trouble was coming up this side of the street and he just pretended not to notice and he kept going. But he said, there's some people, you know, they're walking down this side of the street and trouble's coming down that side of the street. So he crosses the street just so he can get in a fight. You know, there's some people that just want to get in a fight over everything. And I think it's a good thing to be reminded that Paul had a motive here. Now, it's awfully easy to get the big picture and say, man, he's fighting angels from heaven. He's fighting Peter. He's fighting the seminary professors. He's fighting the conference speakers. Who's left not to fight? But you know, there's a motive here. Would you notice that motive in chapter 1, verse 11? He said, I certify unto you, brethren. And then in chapter 4, verse number 19, he calls these Galatian people, my little children. In other words, Paul saw this from a very different point of view, didn't he? He he didn't say, I want to pick a fight so I can have the biggest website in the world. He didn't say, I'm going to pick a fight so everybody's going to come to my blog. He said, the reason I'm fighting here is because we're talking about my brothers and my little children. You know, they were, spiritually speaking, Paul's little children, weren't they? God sent Paul to this region of Galatia, and history tells us it was a dangerous place. I mean, we talk about pandemics and disease. Well, malaria was everywhere. In fact, there are a lot of people who speculate Paul may have had malaria while he was there, and there are reasons to think that's for, you know, maybe just a guess. But whether he was or wasn't, it certainly was a very dangerous place to go. It wasn't a happy place. It wasn't a vacation spot. I got to tell you, there were tough people and it was a tough place to live. And yet Paul went and he started those churches. He led the people to Christ and he baptized them into the local church. I mean, to tell you, Paul was doing a mighty work for God. He loved those people. He was their spiritual father. And not only was he their spiritual father, it's the only thing you can say about a church. It's a beautiful thing. You know, when you win somebody the Lord, you're a spiritual parent. But then when they join the church, they become your brother. So they're your child and they're your brother at the same time. And Paul said, these are my brothers and my sisters. I'm their spiritual father. I led them to Christ. And it's kind of like a mom and dad looking at somebody who's going to harm their children. It's kind of like parents that are watching something dangerous come near their their boy or their girl. Hey, they're going to do something about it. And Paul said, when these professors and these teachers, when these doctors and these scholars, they start doing things that are going to hurt my little children in Christ, they're going to do damage to my little babies in Jesus. Paul said, they've got an appointment with me. And that's the powerful thing of Galatians chapter 3. Paul said, I'm dealing here with my little children. I am protecting my little babies in Christ. And so Paul had a motive, didn't he? So can we look at the book of Galatians and see a passionate man who's ready to go to battle, but the reason he's going to do battle is because his little babies in Christ. It is their truth. It is their life that's on the line. And that brings us to Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 1. And, and what a statement it is. You know, we kind of look at that and it's, it, to tell you the truth, it's hard not to be offended. You know, if I, if I left here next week and wrote a letter like this to Riverview Baptist Church and I called you what Paul called them, you, you'd probably say, who does that guy think he is? And you look at Galatians 3, verse number 1, it's kind of strong language, isn't it? The Bible tells us that he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? He said, you're foolish, you're bewitched. 
Now, there's no soft way around that, is there? But, but could I say the word foolish back in Bible times was a little different than it is now. There really is no way that you or I could call somebody a fool without pretty much offending them, without pretty much saying, you know, you're really, you really don't have it. I mean, the IQ's not there. When you or I call somebody a fool, there's no uh, soft way to do that. But in Bible times, the word fool had kind of different nuances. Now, you would call somebody a fool. You may be saying, you know, you're really stupid. However, you could also use the word fool in Bible times, and, and you would be saying you're missing the point or you're lacking discernment. Remember the story, and, and you know, of all the places in the Bible where I, I wish I was there, and I, I don't know how this works, you know, when, when we get to heaven, I guess we get to go to the library and check out the DVD, you know, or... Okay, if it's in heaven, it's probably up in the cloud. But you, you know what I'm trying to say. I, I mean, I, there's everybody's got their story. Man, I want to see that one. You know, I want to see David and Goliath. Or, or I want to see those boys in the burning, fiery furnace with Jesus. I, I'll tell you, there's a lot of great things. But you know the one I'm going to check out first? I don't know how you do this, but I, I'd love to do it. I would love to have been there on the road to Emmaus. Not many people pick that one, but that, that to me is number one. And of course, aside from the empty tomb, you know, the, the, average, the obvious. But I, tell you, I would have loved to have been there. Remember that story? Those two disciples, one, you know, the Bible tells his name, one we're not sure of. But there they are. They're making their way towards Emmaus. It's right after Calvary. They're confused. They don't know which way to turn, and they don't know what to do. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears with them. Now, Emmaus is west of Jerusalem, so you're pretty much going downhill. And, and you could just see him walking slow. They're discouraged. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus is with them. And, and now Jesus says, why are you so discouraged you know why are you so down and and they said oh you must not be from these parts well the one we love died on the cross and and now we've heard rumors this morning that Peter was there and that he rose from the dead and and we don't know what to do we don't know where to go and and why we are talking about two disciples of Christ and remember what happens as they walk along and they come to a little cafe and in, in Emmaus and and now the Bible tells us that Jesus and this is what I really want to see Jesus starts in Genesis, and he goes from Genesis to Malachi, and he preaches Christ in the Old Testament. Now, i got to tell you, as a preacher, I think Brother Bachhaus probably say the same thing. You know, there's things, you love to preach anything in the Bible. It's all good. But there's some things in the Bible that are really, really, really good. And while there's some things that sometimes you got to get tedious, and we're supposed to because it's the Word of God, you know one of the most popular things, one of the funnest, if there is such a word, things to do, one of the most pleasurable things for a preacher is to preach Christ in the Old Testament. I mean, that is ex- incredibly, extraordinarily rich. When you get in the Old Testament, and my, you, there's so many places, right? Abraham on Mount Moriah with Isaac, and Psalm 22, and, and, and I mean, just so many places where, why, you wouldn't think, and I would wouldn't think. And while I love to preach and I love to hear preaching on Christ in the Old Testament, can you imagine being with Jesus and he starts in Genesis and he goes to Malachi and there's Christ, there's the Messiah. I got to tell you, to hear that, you'd be shaking your head saying, Brother Bachhaus never saw that one. Never thought about that one. You've got to be kidding me. Why, it's so, it's so obvious. How could I miss that? Uh, can you imagine hearing Jesus preach that? i got to tell you, I don't know how long that all took. I, it's hard to tell. Was it part of the journey? Was it after they got to Emmaus? I suspect it was the whole thing. But, but however it worked out, i got to tell you, if that took an hour, if that took ten hours, if that took three days, it wouldn't matter. Hearing Jesus preach on Christ from the Old Testament, what a stunning thing it was. 
But you remember what Jesus told those two people? Remember what he said to them? He said, oh, fools and slow of heart. And, and, you know, I used to read that and shake my head a little bit and say, well, how could Jesus call these people fools? Now, I understand, you know, they're discouraged. It's Jesus died on the cross and they loved him. And, and yet we are talking about disciples and followers. We're talking about people that gave a lot up and they walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and, and they listen to Jesus. Why? We're talking about people that love the Lord. We're not talking about the rabble that hung him on the cross now. We're talking about the ones who loved him. And Jesus said they were fools. And that's because in New Testament times, the word fool had a much broader meaning than it is for us. If you or I, if we call somebody a fool, there's no way to take that except negative. But when Jesus uses the word, he's saying, you're missing something. He's not hammering, he's not putting a finger, and he's not laughing at him. He's not saying you're stupid, but he's saying you're something you missed. Let me go back to Genesis now and give it to you from the word of God. Let me show you Christ in the Old Testament. Let me show you what the Bible says. The the word fool in the Bible doesn't mean necessarily to be stupid. The word fool in the Bible meant to lack discernment. And that's how Paul's using it in Galatians 3 and verse 1. He says, you've been fooled. You're missing something. Now, I don't know where you got it. I don't know if Dr. Peter said something wrong. I don't know if it was some angel from heaven with a pretty flowery looking look about him. Or I don't know if it was the seminary professor from Jerusalem. I don't know if it was one of the big boys in the conference. But no matter who it was, Paul said, somebody has fooled you. Somebody has brought you to the place where you're missing what the Bible says. And because of that in verse number one, because they have been fooled, the Bible says they were bewitched. Now, that's a pretty strong word as well, is it not? The only time this word is found in the New Testament, and it means literally to cast an evil eye. The word bewitched means you're under their spell. The word bewitched means that you're under their control. And, and you know, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. Because when the, and it doesn't really matter where they come from. It could be an angel from heaven. It could be the great doctor so-and-so. It could be the number one writer at Amazon. It could be the number one blogger from Arizona. It could be, I mean, it really doesn't matter where they come from. It could be the great doctor teacher from the seminary. Uh, it could be the big boys in the conference that everybody goes to hear. But you know what the, the real danger is? You and I can be bewitched by humans. No, 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 don't get the wrong idea. That doesn't mean, you know, that this preacher before he came out there was, you know, was in a cauldron, you know, kind of like we think of a witch doing in Salem, Massachusetts. No, 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 not like that. It means that they have controlled you with their thinking. They have controlled you with their theology, with their teaching. In other words, people were, can you imagine, they were mesmerized by personality. I mean, they're saying, but, 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 it's Dr. Peter. And Dr. Peter couldn't be wrong, could he? You know how many times I've heard in almost 38 years of doing this, how many times I've heard people in churches say, but, but Dr. So-and-so said it, Dr. So-and-so, the famous, and I could give you a lot of different names I've heard, but the famous Dr. So-and-so said it, they couldn't be wrong, could they? Oh, yeah. Peter was wrong. They could be wrong. And, and you know how many times people say, but you understand, when I turn the TV on, there's 30,000 people in that auditorium. That many people can't be wrong, can they? Oh, they most certainly can. Yep, they most, most certainly can. And Bible times and the Word of God couldn't be more clear. It is not what is biggest. It is who lines up to the Word of God. 
And people get so mesmerized. But, you know, this book must be right because it's the number one bestseller at Amazon. That many people couldn't be wrong. Oh, yeah, they could. You know, folks, if it's the number one bestseller at Amazon, if it's where the people like to go, well, you know, looking at our pagan world, if it's popular with the world, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says it's not going to be popular with God. And I think there's pretty much quite a bit of teaching in the Bible that tells us if you were of the world, the world would love his own. If the world loves it, if the world likes it, if it's the world's way of thinking, then it's not God's way of thinking. And because it becomes the number one bestseller, because it's everybody's favorite song, because it's the biggest writer, because they get the biggest crowd, because they have a big TV show. I mean, there's a whole lot of things you could put after that word big. But you understand, in Bible times, people got mesmerized. I mean, they were bewitched. They were under the spell, so to speak, of the famous Dr. Peter, of that angelic minister who's got such a beautiful smile, of that great seminary professor from Jerusalem, the great Dr. So-and-so, who has authored so many titles. Or perhaps it was the big-time conference speaker that everybody goes to hear. Paul said it doesn't matter because if you're not careful, you will be fooled and then you will be bewitched. Ultimately, you will be under the thinking, under the teaching of a man and not God. And if you walk out of here this morning saying that evangelist said you got it all wrong. And if you walk out of here next Sunday seeing Brother Bachhaus says, then you've missed it. Because it is not thus saith the pastor. It is certainly not thus saith the visiting preacher from Arizona. But what matters this morning is thus saith the Bible. I got to tell you, I'm looking at Galatians 3, 1, thinking that's not what I want. I don't want to be fooled. I hope you're looking at that verse. I'm sure you are thinking, I don't want to be bewitched. No, sir, we don't want to get this wrong. We don't want to follow the latest teaching. We don't want to follow the wrong doctrine. We don't want to go in the wrong direction. You don't want to be fooled, and I don't want to be bewitched. So this morning, let's go to Galatians 3, verse 1, and I, I want to give you from the Bible, what you and I need to understand so we are not fooled and we are not bewitched. I'm going to give it in the form of three questions. I'm going to take it right out of verse number one now and I'm going to put it in the form of questions that you and I need to ask because if I won't be fooled and if you won't be bewitched, the Bible tells us there's a response we're going to have to the latest whatever it might be. You say, have you heard what the newest author, number one bestseller says? Nope, let's find out what the Bible says. But don't you understand? Don't you understand why? In these days, certainly, there's all these Bible scriptures being fulfilled. I'm not too sure of that. But what I, can, can I just, not that it's the message, but can I just tell you, if you read what the Bible says about the tribulation, you know, I, I know this is going to really upset some of the snowflakes that are out there, but, you know, what we're having nowadays in the tribulation is going to be what you call a slow news day. It really is. I mean, think this is bad. Uh, fasten your seatbelt, man. You better get saved because if you're not, when Jesus comes and the tribulation begins, I got to tell you what we have witnessed for the last few months is going to be a nothing compared to what it's going to be like. So if you're not born again, brother, I, I know a good time for you to be born again. Right now, right now, you better be ready because you don't want to be around for what's coming. If you haven't liked the last couple months, 
then you definitely don't want the tribulation. And you understand, that's the problem with people. They get all caught up. And, and, and So I'm going to go to the Word of God here this morning. I'm going to put this in the form of three questions. Now, now, let me just stop for a second, because normally when your pastor preaches a message or anybody says, okay, i got three points for you, we usually, in our minds, we kind of been taught from school, we kind of equate those points. We say, okay, they're three equal things. That's usually true, not this time. I'm going to give you three questions to ask, but there's an order to them. You don't do number two before you've done number one, and you don't go to number three unless you've done numbers one and two, all right? According to Galatians 3 and 1, there is an order to follow here. So if you don't want to be bewitched, and if I don't want to be fooled, this is how God says you and I are going to respond to the newest song that comes along, to the newest book that is written, to the big new thing that's out there, to what the faith famous TV lady says, no matter who it is, no matter what it is, if you don't want to be fooled, and if I don't want to be bewitched, this is what we do, all right? Let's take a look at verse 1 again. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, and here's why they were fooled and bewitched, that ye should not obey the truth. They were fooled and they were bewitched because they were not continually, constantly obeying the truth. They got into trouble and they were deceived because they were not obeying the truth. All right, now we look at that and we have to ask ourselves the question, well then, what is truth? And I'm guessing that at Riverview Baptist Church, that's not going to be a tough question. However, if we went to Madison to the University of Wisconsin, whoa, that would be a really tough one. It would take a whole semester. It would take four years of semesters before people would walk away shrugging their shoulders saying there is no such thing as truth. You know, sometimes uh, you wonder, why, why is there such a divide? Why is there such a chasm in America? And, and part of the answer, and not that I didn't instinctively know it, but, but I picked up a book a few years ago written by a professor from Berkeley. It was called The Half-Life of Facts. And basically, he was talking about facts or truth in the scientific world. And, and it really was profound to see somebody ignorant enough to actually admit what the guy wrote down in paper. And basically, what he said in the science world, and it depends on what field of science you're dealing with, but in the scientific community, if something is believed for six or seven years, then it is truth. If we actually believe it is true, then it is true. But, you know, we don't do this for six minutes. It's got to be six or seven years. Well, that explained a lot to me, because I remember as a boy growing up in school, you know, and I went to a public school, not that it mattered, and I remember they taught us back then, well, there are nine planets. Yeah, that's where I grew up, in the nine-planet age. Then if you went to school in the 90s, oh, no, 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 there are eight planets out there. If you go to school now, they're going to tell you again, there's nine, we're back to nine. Now, I don't know how many planets are out there, but there are three possibilities. Possibility number one, there are nine planets. Possibility number two, there are eight planets. Possibility number three, there's another number of planets. But you know, one of those things is absolutely true. There is a set number of planets out there, and it may be eight, it may be nine, and it may be another number, but there is an answer to the question how many planets are out there. But you know, while you and I would look at it and kind of think, well, you know, two plus two is four. Oh, not if you're a scientist, it isn't. Two plus two may be four today, but if for six or seven years, maybe a little longer in math, 
But if scientists really believe that 2 plus 2 is 5, and they really believe it, then 2 plus 2 is 5. And that's why if you say to the scientists, are there 8 or are there 9? Well, there were 8, and then there were 9, then there are 9, then there are 8. Because they can go that way because truth to them changes. You know, to us, truth doesn't change. 2 plus 2 is 4, and 2 plus 2 is going to be 400 years from now. And to us, truth is truth. But to them, truth is a matter of opinion. And could I just say, that's why there's no middle ground here. That's why we can't meet them halfway. That's why there is no way to come to some kind of an agreement. Because we have truth and they do not. The science world has no truth, but you and I do. The Lord Jesus said in John 17, 17, Thy word is truth. So when we come to Galatians chapter 3, verse number 1, why are these people in trouble? They are in trouble because they are not obeying the truth. They are not obeying the Bible. So let's put it in the form of a question. Here comes the newest book, the number one bestseller in the religious department at Amazon. Here comes the number one popular contemporary Christian song. Here comes down the pike what everybody's talking about. The TV preacher's preaching about it. You know what godly people do? Here's what they do. Number one, they say, what does the Bible say? Nope, nope. The first thing, what does the Bible say? You're going to get in trouble when you're not obeying the Bible. So the first question is not, what do I think or how do I feel? You know, you ask most people, and and can I be honest, even in good churches, I'm stunned at how many songs are sung where the message is contrary to the Bible. I've been in churches, and I've heard people sing the battle cry of the Antichrist. I really have. I, I mean, I've heard that in independent Baptist churches. People stand up, and they're emotional, and it sounds so beautiful, and the song is so pretty, and they are basically singing the song the Antichrist is going to use to rally people. Uh, it's quite stunning, some of the things you'll hear said, some of the things you'll hear sung, some of the things that people believe. And do you know why? They didn't get it from the Bible. They got it from a singer. And, and, well, that singer sang it, and when they sang it, it really it moved me. It was so beautiful, it moved me. So if it moved me, then it must be right. But we could all get moved in the wrong direction if we're not careful. It is not how do I feel. But you don't understand. Dr. So-and-so said it. You don't understand. That preacher on TV said it. And we get so worked up and he said it, she said it, they said it. This is how I feel. This is what I think. This is my opinion. And Paul said to the Galatian people, no, no, you got in trouble. You were bewitched and fooled because you stopped following the Bible. So question number one, discerning people are always going to ask, what does the Bible say? Not what's number one, what does the Bible say. It is not how do I feel, what does the Bible say? It is not what do my singers sing, what does the Bible say? It's what discerning people are going to do. You say, I don't want to be fooled. I say, I don't want to be bewitched. Well, then we better start right here. What does the Bible say? Question number one. After we've gone to question one, remember, there's an order here, okay? Galatians 3, verse number one is not saying pick whichever one you like. No, no, no. The number one thing discerning people ask is what does the Bible say? But notice there's a second thing. At the end of verse one, Paul said, before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. I, Paul's saying, I don't want you fooled and I don't want you to be bewitched. I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. I don't care if it's the conference speakers. I don't care if it's the big boys from the seminary. I don't even care if it's Dr. Peter. I don't want you to be fooled and bewitched. So what does the Bible say? And here's question number two. Why did Jesus die? 
What a question that is. And that's why he goes to Calvary. And this really is a stunning thing. He said, before your eyes, Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. You know, the word evident means to be kind of like a billboard. You know, when you're driving down the street and you see some guy with a sandwich board on, you know, dressed up like the Statue of Liberty in here to pay taxes. I, don't, I got no idea what the Statue of Liberty has without me paying taxes. I got no idea about that. Seem to be two different things. But you got the idea. And when somebody's got the sign or even a sign, you know, the furniture stores going out of business, going out of business for the 38th time. I think they're giving me the business, but you know what I mean. And when you see, that's kind of the picture of Galatians 3.1. It's somebody waving a sign. And Paul said, Jesus Christ had been evidently crucified. Wait a minute. We're talking about maybe 30, 20, 30 years after the cross. You know, I, I couldn't stand here and say none of those Galatian people were in Jerusalem when Jesus died. But it's hard to believe too many of them were, if any of them were. I mean, Jerusalem to Galatia, that, that's a long way. Getting on an airplane today, you got a couple hours flight. In those days, that would be an incredibly long journey. And to imagine that anybody from Turkey, Galatia, happened to be in Jerusalem when Jesus died, it's extraordinary. It's almost, and I can't say it couldn't happen. Somebody could have been there. But did you see what Paul said? He said, you know, for you people, even though your physical feet weren't there, you may as well have been there. In other words, Calvary was so real. The cross was so real to these people. They couldn't say, I was there the day that Jesus died. But they could say, I may as well have been there the day Jesus died. And obviously, some of us starting to feel a little old, but nobody's that old. None of us were there. But you know, when you get the right kind of preaching, when you get godly music about at Calvary and at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, why we sing about the cross and we preach about the cross. You know, we can join these Galatians people and say, my feet weren't there, but the feet of my soul were there. And I've seen Calvary through the eyes of the Bible. I've seen the cross through the word of God. I've seen the cross through the preaching of the Bible. And because Paul could say, Jesus, though you weren't there, actually, you have been there through the pages of the Bible. You've gone to Calvary and you've seen him die. And you know, Paul brings it this whole thing about discernment. He's asking those people, now, when the great teacher comes along and everybody's listening and everybody's following and everybody's liking and everybody's doing whatever you do nowadays, Paul says, you just better back off for a bit and say, number one, what does the Bible say? And then, number two, ask the question, why did Jesus die? Do you know that fixes a lot of problems? Because somewhere right here in Wisconsin this morning, there's going to be a house of religion and a very nice minister is going to hold the most gorgeous little baby in his arms. Beautiful little baby. And this very nice minister is going to hold this gorgeous little baby in his arms. And he's going to take a, either a, a, maybe a, a cup of water or might dip his fingers into water and either pour some water over the head of the baby or maybe sprinkle some water in the baby's head. And then he's going to show this beautiful, beautiful baby to the congregation. And he's going to say words to the effect of, now this child is a Christian. Why did Jesus die? See, if I could pour water on your head and turn you into a Christian, then why did Jesus have to go to the cross and die? You see, there are people who are convinced this morning, and maybe nobody will really say it, but they kind of say it, 
that if you want to be favored and blessed of God, you just write a big check and you send it to the TV preacher, and boy, you're going to gain access with God. And there are people who are going to sit in their house this morning, and people really can't afford it. And people are struggling to pay the bills, and they're going to send a big check to a TV preacher, being convinced that if I send money to a TV preacher, then I will get favor with God and I can be saved. And if you could go to heaven by putting money in an offering plate, the question stands, why did Jesus die? You see, if somehow Brother Backhouse could take you and put you in that water and pull you out of that water and pray a hocus-pocus over the water and the water he put in that tank could wash your sins away, why did Jesus die? If you could pay your way to heaven, pray your way into heaven, if you could do some good deed and earn a home in heaven, it points us right back to the cross. Why would God put his son on a cross to die if there was some other way? And the answer is because there is no other way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he said. You understand, there is no way save for the cross. Why did Jesus die? It fixes a lot of problems. So, you know, here comes the new author. Oh, you understand, this is the number one hottest. Everybody's reading it. Oh, you understand, when that guy sings, that song just blesses my heart. But you don't understand, this blogger said, and this blogger's got more likes than anybody else I know. Well, you just don't seem to understand. That guy is so angelic. And Paul said, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. I don't care if it's Dr. Peter. I don't care if it's the big boys from the seminary or the big boys from the conference. Number one, what does the Bible say? After you deal with that, number two, why did Jesus die? After you deal with that, number three, the question is, how was I saved? Don't ever forget there's an order here, okay? We don't go to our experience first. What does the Bible say? Why did Jesus die? Number three, how was I saved? Look, if you would, to verse number two. This only what I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Well, <coughs> excuse me, it would appear that back then, They had teachers like we have nowadays. It would appear back then that somebody came along and said something like, oh, no, 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 you need Jesus, you need Jesus. But after that, you need this second work done in your life. You need to have the the Spirit come upon you. Well, it would appear back then there were people that said, in effect, you know, if you're not going to speak in tongues or if you're not going to do something we tell you to do, you're not saved. Now, wait a minute. You know, the Bible tells us that if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't have God. You're not saved. No one is saved because the moment somebody is saved, at that instant in time, the Spirit of God comes to live in them. I mean, it's not like we've got some of the Spirit or most of the Spirit. I mean, the grammar is not well, but the theology is He is or He isn't, you know. Either the Spirit of God is or He isn't in me. Either the Spirit of God's dwelling in you or He's not. If He's dwelling in you, you're a son of God. If He's not dwelling in you, you're not a child of God. We, he is or He isn't. He's in us or He's not. Why, when somebody is saved, the Spirit of God comes to live in their heart and He will never leave. The Spirit of God is always with me. The big question is not, do I have more of the Spirit? I've got all of Him I'm ever going to have. The big question is, how much of me does the Spirit get? That's the issue. But it would seem that there were teachers that came along and says, oh, no, no, no. You're going to have to come to our religion. You're going to have to come to our school. You're going to have to do our thing. No doubt they had to give some money. That's always part of the equation. 
and you will receive the Spirit. And Paul said, wait a minute, how did you receive the Spirit? Was it by some work of righteousness you have done, or was it by the hearing of faith? By the same moment they were saved, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, is when the Spirit of God dwelled in them. So Paul's taking them back to the day they were saved. When that moment in time came that you received the Spirit of God, how did that happen? So do you follow the story? He says to people that are fooled and bewitched, if you don't want to follow that track, and if you don't want to end up in in a mess. Number one, he says, you always ask the question, what does the Bible say? Number two, after you've gone to the Bible, go to Calvary. Why did Jesus die? And then number three, after you've gone to Calvary, go back to the day that you were saved. And you know, I didn't need the blogger when I got saved. I needed Jesus. And I didn't need the latest song when I got saved. All I needed was Christ. And I didn't need the great teacher and the great professor and the great this and the great that. I didn't need the number one best-selling anything save for the Word of God. And when Jesus saved me, it was Jesus alone. If He could save me, that's enough to stay saved. What does the Bible say? Why did Jesus die? How was I saved? It's how you keep from being fooled and bewitched. Many years ago, when Napoleon was a powerful man, he, the story was told, and this is one of those stories that kind of got around for a long time, you know, and and the story was told that Napoleon went to a little village in his empire, and, and there as he was parading, meeting people, parading, doing the whole thing, there was a man there, an older man, and he had lost his arm in a battle. He was dressed in his royal uniform, and he had the coveted legion of honor given to those that had paid a great price for their nation. And as Napoleon supposedly now, okay, the story went around a bit, Napoleon approached the man, he saw the man with the Legion of Honor award, he saw the man with an arm missing, and he said, sir, he said, did you lose your arm in the battle? And the old timer supposedly looked at Napoleon, he said, yes, sir, I lost it at the a battle at Austerlitz. And Napoleon was to have said, and for this you have received the coveted Legion of Honor. And the man supposedly said to Napoleon, oh yes, but that is a small token to, pay, to receive for the love I have for my country. And Napoleon, allegedly now, looks at this old guy and says, well, you're the kind of man who, who probably wishes he could have lost both arms for his country. And the old timer, as the story's told, said, well, Mr. Napoleon, had I lost both arms for my country, what would my honor have been? And allegedly, Napoleon said, well, if you lost both of your arms, I would give you the double legion of honor. And they tell us the guy picked up a sword and he cut off his other arm. And, you know, that story got told for a long, long time. Probably a few preachers used it. You know how that goes. And then one day, somebody just asked the question, how did he cut off his other arm? You, gotta, you know, folks, sometimes we've got to start asking the question, how did they cut off the other arm? You say, I don't get it. Think about it. It'll come to you. How did he cut off his other arm? And, and, and folks, sometimes we just got to come to this and say, you know, I know everybody's singing it. Everybody's saying it. Everybody's reading it. Everybody's doing it. But, you know, I'm just going to kind of be like that crowd in the Bible called the Bereans. And they said, you may be the great Dr. Apostle Paul, but we're still going to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. And, you know, by the time we're done going to the Bible... And then we go to Calvary, and then we remember that wonderful day when the Lord saved us, how simple and beautiful it was. We were pretty much going to start shaking our heads saying, how did they cut off the other arm? It is how you keep from being fooled and bewitched. What does the Bible say? Why did Jesus die? 
How was I saved? Father, I pray you would help Riverview Baptist Church, men, ladies, young people. Oh, help them to be strong in the Word of God, strong in the grace of God. Oh, like never before with an internet, like never before with so many different methods. It's easy to be fooled. It's easy to be bewitched. It's easy to get caught up in populism and not the Word of God. I pray you would raise up an army of men, ladies, and young people that would stand for the truth of the gospel, as did Mr. Paul. Oh, Lord, help your people in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.